My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Well, that was, I know you guys have heard Trevor uh, read the scripture and give announcements, but, but you've never heard him do it as one of the pastors, official pastors of Hope Community. So congratulations, Trevor, and welcome uh, to the church officially. Uh, we had a great time on Wednesday night uh, whenever we uh, installed Trevor as one of our pastors. They've been here for about six months now. We had a good time talking about what it means to be an elder, what it means to be a pastor. And, uh, and then we just got around them and we prayed for them. And, um, and he, he, officially, he officially began. So uh, it's, it's an exciting time in our church, uh, being the age that we are and just all of the things that we've been through. I mean, everybody's been through a lot of things, um, but we have too. And, uh, and it's just... An awesome, it's moments that you pray for. You're like, Father, please, um, Lord, help us. Help us just to grow and bring people and help us to have a, a great presence in this city for the gospel. And, uh, and he's doing that. So I'm so glad that they're here and, uh, and now officially on roll. And there was a great question that was uh, asked on Wednesday. They were like, so what? Like, who do we call? Like, do we call you? Do we call Trevor? What do we do in this moment? Yeah, sure. Like whoever, like it doesn't matter. Um, it's either Trevor, Trevor or me. We are keeping score though. And whoever has the most calls or needs to, you know, get some most calls for help or anything like that, we tally it up and then like we get a raise at the end of the month. So um, I'm joking. That's not true at all. Like you guys, of course, I mean, feel free to feel free to contact either he or I or whoever. And uh, we're here for you guys. We're here to serve. So um, we are going to be uh, kicking off in the book of Romans uh, today. Now, look, uh, we're going to try and I know you guys know me well enough. We're going to try to keep this to a 10 week series. All right. Um, which is going to be very hard to do uh, because if you know me, it took us like a year and a half to get through Acts. It took us forever to get through First and Second Corinthians, um, all of that. But here's the thing. Raise your hand if you were here when we started the book of Acts. Yep, there's like three people in the room. Yeah, and what's weird about New York City and what's sad about New York City is that there are people who come into our lives and then they go out of our lives. And I, you know, I came in from like a mindset of, hey, look, everybody's gonna be here forever. And, uh, and you know, from the get-go, and it was like, and so we're gonna, if it takes us a year and a half to get through Acts, let's do it. But here's the problem, people start Acts and they never know how it ends, because they move. And, uh, and so it's like, you know, so we gotta, we gotta kinda, because of New York, um, we have to kinda expedite some things. So that means that we're not gonna get to go through every verse of every chapter. Don't say amen, all right? Like we're not gonna get to, we're not going to get to do that, um, but we are going to hit some highlights and some major points. We could probably, just to shoot straight with you guys, that we could probably spend years in the book of Romans. It is that rich. It is that good. Um, and so I would just challenge you, like, don't, don't, just, don't just feed from Romans while we're here on Sundays. Uh, we're going to talk about some of these scriptures. You know, today we're, Trevor read 1 through 17. We're going to hit some of those, but, um, but go back in and, and read the rest of what we didn't get to read all of and, and do some studying on your own about the book of Romans. I would really challenge you to do that. 
it will bless your life, all right? Um, so this is where we are and, and kind of how we be, began this whole thing is we started in the book of Acts and then we started to follow Paul's journey of writing uh, whenever he was writing to different churches. So as you guys know, Paul went and he planted a bunch of churches uh, and then as he was kind of going throughout in, in, on his missionary journeys, he would then write to churches that he's planted before. So we've gone through, uh, after we went through Acts, we went through First and Second Thessalonians, we went through Galatians, um, we went through 1 Corinthians, we went through 2 Corinthians, and now we're getting to the book of Romans, which is the thing that he wrote after he wrote 2 Corinthians. And, uh, and one thing that um, is different about the book of Romans is that Paul did not plant the church in Rome. Paul didn't plant that church. In fact, there was no apostle that planted that church. And so that's something that's very different um, about it. Uh, the church in Rome, this is how, this is how people think it kind of started. We talked about, we talked a little bit about Pentecost on Wednesday, and that was the moment in Acts whenever the Holy Spirit fell on them, and then Peter, you know, they, they're speaking in tongues, and, uh, and all these people are going, what in the world? They don't know my language. Why are they speaking in my language? And, uh, and then Peter sees all that's going on. He stands up, and he has a crowd, and he says, hey, I just want to address the crowd and let everybody kind of know what's going on. And so he ends up sharing the gospel. It says, three 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Now here's where they think the church in Rome came from. Because there were Jewish people who had traveled to Jerusalem from all over to celebrate, right? And, uh, and so there were some Jews from Rome uh, at Pentecost, and they think that what happened is some of those Jews from Rome went back to Rome and they started the church back there. And so that's a really cool, uh, a really cool thing that God did in Rome. And so they have this church going. Remember, they don't have a New Testament at this point. They only have the scriptures. They have the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, who he heard that, that Jesus, who they heard Jesus was. And so they're all together as a church going, we know the Messiah. Like we, we know who the Messiah is. Jesus was the Messiah. We put our faith and trust in him. So how do we navigate from here forward? Well, they had some people come in and they had some people help, but not an apostle, not an official apostle yet. And so Paul wants to write to them for several reasons, but that is certainly one of them. Um, and so uh, just to give you guys a few, because if you guys know me, we're not diving into Romans without some context because we need to understand the book the best we can and uh, the context of who it was written to, um, when it was written. Um, you know, the better we know that, the better we understand how to apply that to our lives because we know what it was written for. And so, you know, some of the reasons that Paul um, wrote, uh, number one um, is uh, to formally introduce himself, uh, to formally introduce himself. And uh, that's because... Paul knew the church in Rome. The, the church in Rome knew about Paul. Paul's kind of a big deal back then. Um, and they knew about Paul, but he hadn't formally introduced himself yet. And so he wanted to let them know, hey, this is who I am. Because he was planning to go and visit them at some point. So he was trying to like, you know, um, just kind of try to introduce himself, break the ice a little bit and say, hey, this is who I am. Uh, also, number two, um, we talked about since they had been there without any apostolic instruction at all, he wanted to give them some. Uh, he wanted to explain in detail with them about the inner workings of God's grand plan of salvation. He wanted them to know that. Because again, remember, they don't have a New Testament, although it's kind of odd because when they receive this letter, they have part of the New Testament. Isn't that weird to think about? But it's true. Like as soon as they received it, they received, they just didn't know that it was part of the New Testament yet. Um, and so that's really cool. Uh, and specifically what Paul wants to talk to them about 
is righteousness. We're going to see that theme all throughout the book of Romans, the, the unrighteousness of humanity, the righteousness of God, and how the righteousness of God leads to the righteousness of humanity. Uh, number three, um, also because this city is incredibly influential. He wants to write to the believers in Rome because that city is so influential. One of the main reasons that my family moved to New York City was because of the influence in this city. This city, New York City, is incredibly influential. And can you imagine, can you imagine if the gospel took off in New York City? If revival started in New York City? Well, how is that going to begin? Well, it, it needs people. It needs believers. The city needs people to be living out the gospel so this can happen. But if, but if New York City could be reached for Christ in a big way, what would the trickle-down effect be in the rest of the United States? What would the trickle-down effect be in the rest of the world? Guys, we live on purpose. God brought you here on purpose. If you're a Christian, you are here on purpose because this city is so influential. Well, Rome had the same influence. Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire. It's where everybody, everything filtered from was from Rome. And so it was very, very, very influential. Uh, but also number four, um, I think it was also personal because we know that Paul, uh, he is a Jew, right? But Paul is also a Roman citizen. He was actually born in Rome. And so whenever he's writing this, he's writing this uh, to his home um, and uh, to his hometown. And so some of it is going to be personal for Paul as well. There are other reasons, but those are four major ones uh, for us. Now, let's talk about the context of to who, whom he's writing, all right? Like, who are the people he's specifically writing to? Well, we know that he's writing to the church in Rome, okay? But who is the church in Rome? What does the church in, what is it made up of? Who is it made up of? Here's an interesting background about Rome, okay? So the gospel, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the gospel has a tendency to divide. Divide countries, divide people groups, divide families, it has, it has that capability to divide because it's very exclusive. It says something so serious that some people are going to either reject it or they're going to accept it, right? Well, the same thing was true whenever they came back uh, to Rome. Whenever the Jews came back from, from, when it, they came back from Jerusalem to Rome after Pentecost, now you had two sections of Jews. One, Messianic Jews, the ones who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, to the ones who rejected the whole thing. Now, I know there were 3,000 people that were added to the church that day, and we look at that and go, wow, that's incredible. But there were way more than 3,000 people that were at Pentecost. In fact, there were more people that didn't put their faith in Christ, that didn't buy into what Peter was preaching, than there were who did. So whenever these believers got back to Rome, well, now you've got kind of a division among the Jews. You've got some of them who are like, Jesus is the Messiah. The others were like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He was crucified uh, we, and, we, and he's gone. And so is, so is what he taught. Well, there became such a rift between those two people that the emperor who named Claudius at the time, uh, he was getting very annoyed at them to say the least. He's like, why are you guys causing me so many problems? You're fighting all the time. Like I, so what he does, and that's, it's, there's more to it than that. But basically it's that he's like basically annoyed at him and he banishes every Jew from Rome. He says, no more can there be any Jews in Rome. And so they all, so they chase him out of Rome. There are no more Jews. Now, 
Were there Gentile believers in Jesus in Rome? Yeah, there were Gentile believers in Jesus in Rome. Why? Because whenever the Jews came back, the Messianic Jews came back, they were telling everyone, not just Jews, they were telling Gentiles and people were getting saved. People who were not Jewish were getting saved and coming into the kingdom of God. And so now you have this kind of church that is Jews and they're Gentiles, but then the Jews get kicked out. Well, who's, only, who's the only ones left? Gentiles. They're the only ones that are left in the city. Do they stop evangelizing? No, they continue to share the gospel with everyone that is there, but there are no Jews there anymore. So who are the ones who are coming to know Christ? Gentiles. So now you have the Gentile church growing and growing and growing. Now don't think it became some mega church. Don't think like what you see like on TV mega church. Like, like think of what's in this room right now. Okay, like think more, uh, more of that, a little bit bigger. But, but like all of a sudden you had all these Gentiles. Well, Claudius dies, okay? And now all the Jews are like, let's go home. Nobody, nobody's there to kick us out anymore, so let's go. So they all start coming back. Uh, the Messianic Jews start coming back to Rome, the ones that want to. But there's a problem. Uh, whenever the Jewish people left the church, so did their traditions. So did, so did their culture. That also left the church as well. And so whenever they came back, you had a bunch of Gentiles who were believers who were running the church. And yes, it was the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, they agreed that Jesus was the Messiah. But how would you feel if your culture just disappeared completely whenever you came back? There would be, there would be some issues. You would be, you'd be trying to live life together. Like, I mean, think about it. We have, we have varying cultures in this room right here. And we're all proud of our culture, right? Like, like nobody, everybody, everybody's proud of their own food. You're like, you guys don't know what food is. We know what food is, right? You guys have no idea what food is. Music, you call that music? That's not music. Let me show you what music is. We can't even agree like on some of these things. Why? Because you grew up with that stuff. You grew up with that culture. You think you celebrate a holiday like that? Let me show you how you celebrate a holiday, right? I mean, whenever you get married, if you're, if you're married to someone who's of a different culture or not even a different culture and your family opens presents on Christmas Eve, that's unthinkable in your family because you open them on Christmas day. Well, now you're together and you're like, what are you gonna do, right? And, I, and divorce happens. I'm just kidding. That's not true. But, but it's like, what, you got to work through these things. So you've got this church who are now trying to work through things. And there are a few issues. Now they're doing very well. We do not have a first Corinthians problem going on in the church in Rome. We do not have a second Corinthians problem. Whenever Paul is writing first Corinthians, he's like, you guys are terrible at being Christians. But whenever he's writing to the church in Rome, he's like, look, you guys are killing it. I just want you to know that, but let me give you some instruction. Let me help you out. And who he's writing to is a majority of Gentiles because that's who's in the church now. But there are a few Jewish believers that are still there, but the people that he's writing to are mainly Gentiles. And so whenever we read this, what I like to do if we're gonna correctly interpret scripture, you wanna have an idea in your mind and picture the group of people that are being talked to. You don't picture yourself first, all right? These scriptures were not written to you. Okay, they were written to a specific people at a specific place and time. Now, do the scriptures transcend all time and apply to us as well? 100% yes, okay? But whenever you're picturing who this was written to, don't picture yourself, all right? Because why? Because you live in New York City in 2022 and things are not going to translate, okay? So, oh my goodness. That's, that's my first one. 
That was my first time I messed that up. I've only had to write it once, but that was my second, and I messed it up. Um, but yeah, so 2023, like it's not the same thing. And so whenever, whenever we picture this, all right, whenever we're reading through this and you're reading through Romans, I want you to close your eyes. No, don't close your eyes. You can't read. But picture in your mind, all right, picture in your mind a group of Gentiles with some Jews scattered in. They don't have a New Testament. They've all just kind of come to know Jesus. Things are a little unsure, yet they're doing really well. And they're just a small group and somebody's opening it up and going, hey guys, we just got a letter. We just got a letter. Let's read it out loud. Nope, don't go Blue's Clues on me, all right? We just, he's like, we just got to know. I heard it. But, uh, but he's like, we got a letter. Let's, let's, I'm not gonna say wonder who it's from. They know who it's from, all right? Leo, uh, those 90s babies over there. All right, so that's a little, that's a little context of who, who it is, okay, and who he's writing to. Um, so, uh, as, we kind of, uh, as we kind of read this book and study this book, here's what I pray. Um, I pray that not only will it lead some to Christ, but I pray that for those who have come to know Jesus, I pray that it will strengthen you um, and, and that the effect of this will trickle down uh, much like it has in history. The book of Romans has sparked a revival or two. I just want you to know that. Um, Martin, Martin Luther uh, famous theologian, um, you know, uh, credited for, he, he along with some other people, the Reformation. Um, we talked about that, but uh, he was saved reading the book of Romans. Um, John Wesley, uh, if you guys know who that is, this is a Methodist church, by the way, but John, John Wesley, the building. John Wesley himself, he didn't get saved reading Romans. You know what he got saved? Reading the Martin Luther's introduction to Romans. John Wesley got saved, and what broke out was the Wesleyan revival. It, this book is powerful. This book, Buckle Up, has the tendency and has the power to bring revival. And I hope that it does in your life. I hope that it does in our church. I hope that the trickle-down effect is our city as well, all right? Um, so with that, let's, let's get into this, all right? Let's open up. Uh, you guys, it's going to be on the screen, but if you want to go Romans chapter 1, uh, we're going to begin there. So Romans chapter one, verse one, here's what he says. Here's his opening uh, to this church in Rome. He says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Amazing introduction from the first verse. Um, and I'm telling you guys, we could spend like hours and hours in each verse, but we cannot do that. Uh, but first things first, we all know that, that Paul is somebody in the Christian world. He is. Like, he's kind of famous. Like, whenever, whenever they received this letter, they weren't opening it and going like, wow, Paul? Somebody named Paul wrote to us just now. Uh, let's see what it says, right? No. Like, they all, like, got this letter and were like, oh, my, gather around, everybody. Like, Paul just wrote us a letter, all right? So he, he, he's very well known. His reputation definitely precedes him. And, uh, and he's also planted so many, so many churches, you know, at this point. Um, in fact, Paul's name is still a big deal today. Uh, I mean, the guy is still massively huge. Like if you talk to people and you're like, who are your heroes in the faith? And you can't say Jesus, all right? Like if you're like, who are your, who are your heroes in the faith? I, I promise you there are going to be a lot of people who say Paul, right? Um, some girls won't because they're like, I'm going to pick a girl. That's understandable. But whenever we read through Paul and whenever we read through some of his stuff and we see the way he lived his life, not, not a one of us walk away going, he's all right. 
you know? Most of us walk away going, Whew, I know I'm supposed to be like Jesus. I'll start there. <laughs> like, I'll start with trying to be like Paul, and then hopefully Paul will lead me to look like Jesus as well. Because we look at this guy, and we're so impressed by who he is and all of the things that God did through him, right? He was an apostle. Yes, he planted churches. He was a hero in the faith. But what's the first thing that he says about himself? He's a slave. He's a slave of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that he says. And I love the humility of Paul. And it's because he truly understands what he wrote previously in 1 Corinthians, which is that he is not his own. He was bought with a price. He is not his own. He was bought with a price. And that price was the death of Jesus. And, and Paul lives in debt to Jesus. So the first thing that he says is not, hey, listen up, I'm an apostle. He says, hey, first and foremost, I'm Paul. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that. And let us, let us never make too much of ourselves in our minds, okay? Because we can sometimes. Let us never make too much of ourselves in our minds. Let's all remember who our Lord is, who we are indebted to, and the great price that was paid for us. And then he tells them that he was chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. He's letting them know his credentials, all right, in case they needed it. Paul, he's saying, I have authority on the subject of God. I have authority on this. And he's reminding them that it's not just anybody writing to him, but also, you know, as I read through that, what a great reminder to himself of who he is. Sometimes I know I'm like, don't think too highly of yourself, but don't think too lowly of yourself either, all right? Because you are a child of God, God has chosen you for something. So we, we can't think highly of ourselves, but we shouldn't think too lowly of ourselves either. I love the words he chooses. He says, chosen by God to be an apostle. And I look at this and I think two things. Number one, it causes me to dwell on what I was chosen for. Paul was chosen to be an apostle. Do you ever think about that? What are you chosen for? What am I chosen for? right? And are we, are we living in that? And number two, I think, man, there is no doubt about what God's calling on Paul's life is. There is no doubt about that. The man was on a road, okay, to Damascus on his way to arrest Christians. God himself, Jesus himself blinds him on the road. He can't see a thing. He's like, what's going on? And Jesus is like, I'm the one you're persecuting. And right then and there, he's like, well, can't deny this. So therefore, he's like, turns out all those, all those people were right. All those people I'm trying to, try, trying to arrest are right. And he humbles himself and he gives, him, he gives his life to the Lord in that moment, puts his faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah, and he's radically saved. There is no doubt, there is no doubt that Paul that there was a calling on Paul's life. Here's the thing. Whenever I was a youth pastor, um, I was a youth pastor for quite a while. I was also a college minister and a singles minister as well. And so I got a lot of people who were around the age of trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. All right? Like that's, that was kind of like the thing. Like everybody was kind of stressing about what do I want to be, right? Trying to figure out what their calling in life is. Why? Because we're in church. And so you have to use church lingo. So like, what am I called to do? What is my calling in life? Oh, if I could just figure out what my calling in life was, right? And, uh, and one of them read about Paul's conversion and, uh, you know, his calling into ministry and how all of that went down. And they were like, I wish God would just make it as plain to me as he did to Paul. First of all, probably not. Like that was, 
that was pretty traumatic, I would imagine, right? I mean, being blinded, like, let's hope we don't ever get to that part. You know, we don't run it that far away that God's like, oh, I got to blind them or they're never going to come to know me, right? Like, I mean, hopefully that's not where we get to. But, but, they, but they would say something like, you know, um, like, I, I wonder what God's calling on my life is. And maybe that's, maybe that's something that you've thought about recently. Um, maybe, you know, if you're unhappy in a job or whatever it is, and you're just looking for a new career path or whatever it is, and you're, you're just stressing about what is God's calling on my life? God, what have you called me to do? And, uh, and we wonder that. We wonder what's my calling. But here's what I think. I think we spend too much time and energy and focus worrying about what we are temporarily going to do when we should be putting most of that energy into what we are eternally called to do, all right? I know that uh, might hurt just a little bit, but I really believe that's true. I really believe that's true. I'll say it one more time. I think we spend too much time and energy and focus worrying about what we are temporarily going to do, your job, when we should be putting most of that energy into what we are eternally called to do. Our calling, our calling is like Paul's. Our calling is like Paul's. God may have not blinded you, but he saved you just the same. He absolutely saved you. And according to scripture, he has called us, and Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians, he has called us to be his ambassadors. What are you called to do? Be God's ambassador for the gospel. That's one thing you're called to do. And he also says that he calls us to be ministers of reconciliation, that he has called us to be able to go and to tell people how they can be reconciled to God. People are like, what's my calling? That, like that, that is a huge calling on your life to go on into all the world and make disciples. That's another calling for, for the disciples of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to go into all the world and make disciples. You see, this is our main calling in life as Christians. This is our main calling. Our career is not our calling and our calling is not our career, okay? Our career is not our calling and our calling is not our career. Our career can be and should be an avenue to carry out our calling and support to provide for our calling but our career is not our calling. We put so much emphasis on being in the middle of God's will according to our career, when being in the middle of God's will is more about our calling as gospel sharers. Show me that kind of emphasis on a career path in scripture to where that's what you're stressed about most. You're not gonna find it. It's not there. And you know why? Because your career is temporary. Your money is temporary. In the end, all it was was provision for your calling. You're so much more than your career. Your calling in life is so much greater than your career. And we need to think of ourselves more like Paul thinks of himself whenever he says this. Sure, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an actor, an electrician, a teacher, a plumber, business person, whatever. Paul was a tent maker, but he didn't start out by going, hi, my name is Paul, I'm a tent maker, right? That's not what he said about himself. No, because that wasn't his ultimate calling in life. Infinitely more than that, he's a slave of Jesus Christ, and you are a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be his ambassador, his minister of reconciliation to the world, sent out to preach his good news. That's what it says at the end of that. He says, chosen by God to be an apostle. You've been chosen by God to be an ambassador and sent out to preach his good news. You've, given, you've been given the same calling. 
I've been given the same calling. We've all been giving that, given that same calling, sent out, he says, to preach his good news. I want to stop there for one second and remind us all of the privilege we have and what God has called us to do. It's truly a privilege that we get to go and share the gospel. God could have, God could have made it any other way for, for his people to hear the gospel, but he's given us the privilege of being able to go and do that. That's a blessing. It's not because he's like, you know what? Let's make them real nervous and anxious. You guys share the gospel. And then everybody's like, oh, what a burden, right? No, God is like, I've saved everyone. Hmm, how can I bless my children the most? You know what? You guys go and tell them. You guys go and share this gospel. You guys go and share this good news. Now, when we approach it, and we're gonna talk about it in a second, we need to approach it with, with eagerness, right? Um, but he says, preach his good news. And that word for good news, let's all get Greek on us for a second, okay? Uh, that word for good news is the Greek word euangelion. All right, did I say that right, Trevor? Okay, all right. He's way better at the Greek than I am. Um, euangelion, which is the gospel. That's, some, in some of your translations, it might say gospel instead of good news. In the NLT, it says good news um, because they've explained what the gospel really is translated, which is good news. That's what that word literally means. And back in time, uh, whenever Paul was writing this and he wrote that word euangelion on there, um, it was a word that was familiar to them. Like, like whenever, whenever he said the word gospel, Euangelion, whenever he said that word, like people weren't like, what's that? Like that was, a, that was a word that they knew. That was a word that they were very, very familiar with because it was a part of emperor worship back then. Like that's a part of emperor worship. And there was a person who was in charge of spreading the gospel of the emperor, of heralding the gospel of the emperor, sharing his gospel, his good news to the people. If the emperor was expecting a child, the emperor would send a heralder to spread the gospel of that. Hey, the emperor's ex expecting, and everybody would be like, yay, worship the emperor, okay? That was the gospel of the emperor. If there was something beneficial that the emperor did for the people or for the empire, they were sent to share the gospel of what happened, which would bring glory to the emperor. So what is Paul saying about himself? He's saying, and, and, and we should be reminded, you know, it's true for us as well, that he is not sent out as a mere her heralder to share the emperor's gospel. He's sent out to share the creator's gospel. That's a gospel. That's some good news. He's like, I got some good news. It's not from the emperor, it's from God himself. The, the giver of, of, of military victory and freedom, that's cool. Like, it's a cool person, but what about the giver of life and breath? That's a way cooler gospel to me that I want to hear, that I want to hear from. And the one who flung the planets and stars into motion. All right, now you got my attention. Like, tell me the good news from that guy. God has good news, and he wants to share with the world. And he's called Paul as a herald. And he's called you and I as heralds as well. He's called us to do that. We get to be a part of that. And what is that good news? He goes on in verse two through four and he says this. He's like, God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is something, this isn't something that's hot off the press. It's not breaking news. He's like, this is something that he's been talking about forever through the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel. Like I, I've, I've, it's something that has, he's always been talking about through in scriptures. Then verse three says, the good news is about who? His son. It's okay to talk back. It's fine. His son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. He's like, that's what the prophet said was going to happen. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what he's saying about the gospel of God. It's God's gospel, his gospel. Paul has been sent to share his gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. Paul wasn't just sitting there going like, you know what? We should tell some people about this. Like, this is good. It's not Paul's good news. It's God's good news. And he gets to go and he gets to do that. We hear lots of amazing news throughout life. News that brings you gladness. How many of you guys got some good news in the past week? Anybody? Get some good news? I know. I, I, we live in New York City, so most of the time we're like, I got a lot of bad news. I don't know about good. <laughs> like, sure, you, you probably have. There's varying levels of, of good news, all right? But yeah, we, we've received some good news. Some, some friends of mine, they announced that they were going to have a baby. And I was like, let's go. All right. That's good news. That's gospel. That's, that's good news, right? But, uh, you know, and, and maybe somebody's like, oh, we, we just got engaged and you celebrate. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Great job. But the news of Jesus, like there's good news. But the news of Jesus, listen to this for a second, that you and I, listen to this news. Because of our sin, we stand before God guilty of breaking his law and therefore must be held accountable for our actions. You're like, this isn't good news. In fact, we've incurred so much debt that there's no way that we can even pay it back. You or I, even the smallest sin we've committed is so grievous to whom we've sinned against that we have no way of satisfying our debts. We have no way of doing it. There's no payment that we can offer that is big enough. And we therefore will have to endure the payment of death eternally separated from God in a place that was never intended for us, a place the Bible calls hell. But that God who is so rich in mercy and grace, in order to keep that from happening, himself stepped out of heaven and became a human. And that human was Jesus Christ. Fully God, yet fully man. God, so that he could withstand the temptation of sin. Man, so that he could rightfully pay our penalty on our behalf. He lived a perfect, he lived a sinless life, a truly righteous life. So righteous, in fact, that it offended all of the unrighteous spiritual leaders at the time. And they had him killed, nailed to a cross. But it was all on purpose. It was meant to happen. It was the plan all along. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. It was God who killed Jesus and he did it for you and he did it for me. And on that cross, Jesus, the righteous, carried with him a sacrifice that all of the unrighteousness of everyone who would put their faith and trust in him would receive. And then he died the punishment for our sins, he experienced in our place and he was buried. And then he, and then to, and, and to seal the deal, to prove it was all from God and all part of his plan, three days later, Jesus got up out of the grave. And he was resurrected to show us that he was who he said that he was. And that if he was resurrected, we will one day as well. And through his resurrection, he showed us that all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who confess with their mouth that he is Lord and believe his resurrection would without a doubt be forgiven, would be saved. 
they would without a doubt be absolved of any and all sins against God because all of those sins were transferred to Jesus and the righteous life of Jesus transferred to them and will in turn be able to spend eternity in the presence of the Lord in a place called heaven. I don't care what good news you share with me. That's the best news ever. I'm happy for your engagement. I'm way happier about that. I'm way, that is so, that, that, there's some good news in the world, but there, there's no, no better news than that. And that is what Paul was called to share. And that is what we are called to share. That is what we have the privilege of sharing with other people. And it's not something that we should be ashamed of. It is not something that we should be ashamed of. Look at verse 16 to 17. You're like, whoa, we just jumped ahead. That's right. Go back and read what's in between. It's good stuff. But look what he says in 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. We need to know that. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Here's the truth. That good news is truly the best news, but it won't be seen that way to many people. There are a lot of people that while you and I were like, yes, it's good news. There are a lot of people that will have the opposite feeling about the message of the cross. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you know anyone in your life who considers the message of the cross foolish? Have you run into anybody like that? Yeah. We've all run into someone like that. In fact, here in New York City, you're going to run into more people that think that way than people who think the other way. Like, like I want to be optimistic that I'm going to run up to people and go, you'll never guess what God did. And they're going to go, what? And I'm be like, this is what happened. And they're going to go, what? Sweet. Tell me, what do I need to do? And I'm like, just, just pray. Give your life to him. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Oh, let's do it now. Great. Let's do it now. And then you lead. And then you're like, you want to come to church? Yeah, I want to come to church. You want to learn more about it? Yes, I want to learn more about it. Come on. Let's go. Like, I wish that was the case. But if you've spent a day in this city... <laughs> you know that it's probably not going to go that way. In fact, if you're like, yeah, um, I'm a Christian. I go to church. And if somebody looks at you and goes, oh, really? And, and they don't look at you and go, what? You're going to go, yeah, I am. What do I say next? I've never gotten this far. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say next, right? But guys, they're going to be the majority of people who consider it foolishness. But there are going to be people who consider it the power of God. There are going to be people who give their lives to Christ. And you and I, we don't need to be ashamed of what the world thinks is foolishness, all right? 
We, we do not need to be ashamed of that. We do not need to be ashamed of the gospel. Do you know what Paul's saying here whenever he's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Do you know what he's really, he's like, think of it the other way. He's saying, I am proud of the gospel. I am proud of it. He's like, yeah, I understand. I understand that there's going to be some hardship. I know, trust me, Paul knows that there are going to be people that reject the gospel. Like the people who think it's foolish, like you don't, don't remind the guy who's been beaten on several occasions, who's been arrested on several occasions, okay, that, that the gospel is going to be rejected. He knows that very well. But here's something that I think is really, really interesting and I love. If you go back to one verse before 16, that's 15. If you go back one verse, here's what he says. He's, you know, he's about to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Here's what he says in 15. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome. I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. He's saying, I know that I will experience opposition in Rome. I know it. Like I'm gonna show up, there are gonna be people who are going to oppose me. And I know that I'm gonna experience some scoffing, some disbelief, some ridicule. He's like seen it, literally seen it everywhere, all right? But, he, but he's not hesitant to come and share the good news. He's not worried about coming and sharing the good news. He's not anxious about coming and sharing the good news. He's not freaking out at all. He says that he is eager instead. And then look at 16. He says, I am proud of it. I'm proud of it. I'm eager to come and share it in Rome because I am not ashamed of it. I am proud of this good news about Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. This good news is like, it's going to tell us how to make, how God makes us right with him. And it's accomplished from start to finish by faith. It's through faith. There are going to be people who come to faith. There are going to be people who reject, but there are going to be people who come to faith. And I love it. I love it. As you live out your calling in this city, some are going to reject some won't. Some won't. And I promise you that when we're baptizing that person that didn't, you're not going to be thinking about all the people who rejected. You're going to go, this is it. This is it. This is what it's all about. And you're not going to, I've, 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 I've always met people in my life who regretted not sharing when they felt led to share. I've never once met a person who shared the gospel with someone and left going, shouldn't have done that. I've never met him. Never. Doesn't matter how bad it went. I've never met that person, not once in my life. Some are going to reject it, but some won't. Are you proud of it? Are you proud of the gospel? Do you believe it has the power to do what it says it will do? And I don't want just a knee-jerk amen from the church, okay? Because that's what we're all prone to do. I just said something spiritual. So the church says, amen, right? No. Don't just convince yourself you believe it in your mind. Prove it with your actions. Prove it with your actions. I challenged you guys with some things last week to kind of help with this, to give us some accountability, all right? Because it's good to have some accountability because I know that I can say things like, so let's get out there and let's share the gospel. And everybody's gonna leave and they're gonna go, oh, tomorrow, right? Like, and then tomorrow gets here and you're gonna be like, tomorrow, <laughs> okay? Like, because we, we, we do get a little nervous and let's talk to God about that. Why are, what is this? Why are we not proud like Paul is? Why, are, why do we feel shame? Why, why are we a little afraid? Why are we a little bit scared? 
right? Let's, let's talk to God about that. But I want to give you guys um, just a few things to help hold you accountable to this, all right? Because I want to, I want to set you guys up to succeed in doing this. Um, I challenged you, number one, um, to invite at least one person to church a week. Invite, invite one person to church at week, a week at least. That's not a lot. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying be weird, okay? Like, I'm not saying walk up to people and be like, do you have time to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus? Like, I mean, like, walk up to someone and just be like, hey, we got an awesome, like, if you're having a conversation with somebody, you know when to, you know when to interject. Hey, you should come to church sometime. Like, it's so easy. And we, we actually make it really, really easy for you guys. Um, we actually have back there on the table, next to the books, we have, we have these awesome um, little um, business cards. They just give the information about our church. You know how easy it is just to, I carry 10 of them in my wallet at a time. I just had to refill just a second ago because it's so easy for me just to pull out a card and just be like, hey, come to church with me sometime, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy, so easy. One person a week, that's, that's not asking a lot, but how many of you guys are like, that's, that, that kind of makes me nervous. Anybody in the room like that? Y'all, y'all liars. Not me. I'm going to go. I'm not ashamed. Don't lie. All right. Like, like I know that I'm like, invite one person to church every week and you're like, oh no. Like some of you are sweating right now. Okay. Like that's something. Here's another thing I want to challenge you. At least have at least one gospel conversation a month. One gospel conversation a month. That's going to be 12 gospel conversations in a year. That's good math. All right. That's not a lot. And by the way, this is at least, okay? Like, don't be like, I already did mine. Guess I can't share with that person, okay? I mean, like, just at least one, okay? One gospel conversation. And, and again, it's not like it only counts if the person prays to receive Christ. Like, that's, that's not what it is. I'm saying, like, interject the gospel somehow. Man, I, I know that it's tough right now. And let me just tell you, when, I, when I'm going through tough times, man, I like to rely on the Lord, I, I, I pray about things and just see where the conversation goes. Like maybe you'll get a chance to, to share with them. And, uh, and then the last one, the, the third one, is I challenge you at least have one person this year you're specifically praying for and investing in for the prayerful purpose of seeing them hopefully come to Christ. Being intentional. Being intentional just about at least one person this year. Who is that? I've got my person in my mind. All right. And again, if God brings someone else, I'll take advantage of that too. But there's one person that I'm going to invest in. That means I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to. I'm going to invite to dinner. I'm going to get to know. I'm going to see what their needs are. I'm going to tell them that I'm personally praying for them. I'm going to be available. I'm going to be helpful. And I'm, and I'm hopeful and I'm going to be praying. And I'm hopeful that maybe they will see that and they will see my good works and they will glorify my Father in heaven. That's what I'm hoping will happen. It may not, it may not, but I'm at least gonna try. I'm at least going to invest in one person. Who's, who's one person that you can invest in this year, all right? Final words, we're servants of Christ. Our calling in this life is to herald God's good news of Jesus, eager and unashamed to everyone. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.